Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And uh, this is our New Year's show. Happy New Year. 2013 is done. Ugh. It's always weird going into a new year because it's like, really? It's 2014? That is that is mind-blowing. We're like a year away from Back to the Future Part 2. That's true. Don't, you know, despite what everybody says on Facebook... Um, <clears throat> well, like per- periodically, every like couple months, yeah, somebody... you'll see some viral image of like you know today's the day that Marty McFly went into the future, and it's like always oh, somebody photoshopped the date on the you know on the uh, DeLorean. I just always assumed they would like freeze it as like it was dialing through the numbers because like, it goes like it's like a little digital display thing mm-hmm. and it like, goes up through the numbers until it stops at fifteen. But I don't know. And every, people will be like, they'll comment like, oh, wow, that's right. Or they'll like it. And it's like, so you, why are you so happy? Clearly, you didn't even see the movie. Like, well, yeah, because it's that's kind of like a whole plot point thing is that it's like, it's a full, it's like a 30, 30 year difference, you know. Yeah, 55, 55 to 85 to 15, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, today, it's not, we're not to Back to the Future yet. Yeah, no. Or over a year away. I don't remember the month or anything, but it was some at some point in 2015. You know, it's hard for me to... I can't remember the month because I've seen so many of the fake versions that, yeah. like, I don't know <laughs> what the actual date is. That, um... A couple episodes, we got caught up in a big Spielberg conversation. Mm-hmm. And, um... The Back to the Future films were, like, produced by Spielberg... And uh, I remember, like, growing up, people would, like, refer to them as Spielberg movies and stuff. And I was thinking, like, so many movies that are, like, quintessential movies for people growing up in the 80s were, like, Spielberg movies that weren't really Spielberg movies. Like, I, I the big ones for me were Back to the Future, Gremlins, and The Goonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of them were directed by Spielberg, but they are, like, Spielberg movies. Yeah, and, totally. I mean... Yeah, and they're more Spielberg movies than it's it, it's kind of like the whole poltergeist sort of argument, like yeah. of how much of that movie really was Toby Hooper as opposed to Steven Spielberg. Um, because you watch a movie like you know The Goonies or Gremlins, mm. and Back to the Future, like they all feel like they could have been if if it said directed by Steven Spielberg, like you know you wouldn't really think much. But I mean, like Gremlins, like if you watch any other Joe Dante, film, you can clearly, clearly see a, his influence. Yeah. Yeah. And I just watched my family watched Gremlins uh, during Christmas dinner. But like Zemeckis, I mean, he doesn't really have anything else that's like anything like Back to the Future. I mean, from, not so much, maybe not so much like a visual standpoint, but um, like politically, I would put Forrest Gump, you know, like he kind of. So it's like the Back to the Future films is like, oh, wouldn't it be so great if like it was just the 50s and the 80s? We didn't have to deal with that nonsense in the 60s and 70s. You get to skip over all that and it's all perfect. Go Reagan. And then in Forrest Gump, it's almost like, oh, this is what happens in the 60s and 70s. And And um, it's all horrible. And it's horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, look at those dirty hippies protesting our war. And like, I don't know, just... I, I say this like I disagree with the politics of it, but I do. I think Forrest Gump is a good movie. I think the Back to the Future movies are good movies. But. I've never thought about Back to the Future as being conservative like that, or not so much conservative, but like right wing, I guess. 
but it's it's funny like it kind of does have because even in like the third one you go back to like the old west which is yeah. a very kind of like classic sort of american or americana you know right yeah it's interesting um but yeah so <laughs> so yeah we got new year's uh Right around the corner. Well, for uh, we're on the we're recording this on December twenty eighth, so for us, New Year's is right around the corner, and um, we just uh, had Christmas. How was your Christmas? Christmas was good. Christmas was good. Yeah. Um, Did Santa bring you everything you wanted? I mean, not. It's different from when I was a kid because, right. like, when you're a kid, you kind of like have like a list of things that you're like, oh, I want, I want this and this and this. Like, it's not like that anymore. It's not like. Does your dad ask for a list? No. My family always asks for a list, and it's so awkward. Like yeah. <laughs> every, and I'm like, oh, well, give me your list, too. And I, they never give me one. But, mm-hmm. like, I end up, like, I'll come up, I'll go through my Amazon shopping cart and look for a bunch of stuff that I never got around to buying. <laughs> and um, I'll just write those down somewhere. Yeah, I mean, my dad used to do that. Um, but I, it, as I got older, it just became harder and harder for me to do it because I just felt like... I don't want to like just ask for yeah. things, you know. Like I want to be like kind of surprised, and it's just kind of like funny because just like handing this wish list to my dad, who just would look at it and be like, <laughs> "You're 27 years old. Like this is the stuff that you want." Like, it should have stopped years ago. Yeah, I don't know. But... I want Star Wars action figures, and I want some video games. But yeah, I don't know. my family doesn't really know me that well, so they really don't know what to buy me. So I guess, I don't know, they don't want to buy me some ridiculous thing. <laughs> um, my dad got me a pretty cool gift. He got me uh, light-up drumsticks. Cool. They're like these uh, plastic, clear plastic um, drumsticks that when you hit something, it like lights up blue and then it like slowly fades away. Um, so yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty cool. Do they work as regular drumsticks? Yeah, they're, they're regular like... drumsticks, so like, and you can play them, and they just light up blue um, with every hit that you do. Will you be using these in any upcoming I'll be using them on uh, the New Year's Eve show at, at, Googs. at Googs, which, if you're listening to this on New Year's Eve, um, it's tonight. Hurry up, run over. Yeah. It's on something street. Haskell. 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 Um, yeah, I'll... Uh, We'll we'll both be there. I'll be playing with my new uh, my new toy. I'll be watching intently while sipping my Shirley Temple. <laughs> um, he also got me a new drum seat. Cool. Because the old one that I was using was kind of gnarly. Um, it's actually the old one actually belonged to Tim Oakley, and he used it all through like the mathematician stuff. So that seat's seen some real action <laughs> you know because tim would like take off his pants and play all sweaty yeah i would never see a mathematician's performance that didn't end with all of them soaking wet yeah so it's nice to have a, a new seat that doesn't like you know did you ever smell the seat no i've never got i've, I've never gotten down and one of the most disturbing television commercials I've ever seen, I believe it was for Febreze. It, it, it was like maybe two, three years ago. It involves a woman going into her son's room 
and complaining about how filthy everything is. And it shows her in close up, like sniffing his chair and saying like, this chair smells disgusting and like spraying it. And it's like, no, you don't do that to your son's (laughs) chair. That's the like grossest thing. It's like something from like an early John Waters film. Why is that in a TV commercial? This chair smells like ass crack. Well, Ma, yeah, that's what I do. I sit in my chair. I sit on my chair and my ass crack. I'm sorry. It's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I didn't get for Christmas this year were any DVDs. Are you bitter about that? No, mm-hmm. not really. Um, we're kind of going in a, like a non-DVD direction yeah it, uh, this might be the first christmas in like 10 years that i didn't get like a single like movie of some kind um and it's not like like i was disappointed or i like yeah. i was expecting a dvd or anything like that because i haven't been collecting dvds myself in like a long time um it just kind of like really, I don't know, I when I realized that, I was like, oh yeah, that's it's kind of weird how far we've kind of come from, I mean, there was just a time when I was like, you know, that was all I really wanted were like, just like more and more movies and like building my DVD collection and stuff. And now it's like, it's not a priority for me at all. And I feel like because it's not a priority for a lot of people, they're very inexpensive depending on where you go. I know, and like, as I was like, uh, doing Christmas shopping, I was like looking around um, in different stores and seeing like so many like great deals on DVDs and Blu-rays. Like yeah. so many like seven dollar Blu-rays. Um, I I went to Barnsies. Um, that's Barnes and Noble for you uncool people. Um, on Christmas Eve, and all the Blu-rays were forty percent off, and I'm a member, so I got another ten percent off. I ended up buying. Nashville on Criterion. It's the three disc, two DVD, one Blu ray. Mm-hmm. And it was marked forty nine ninety nine. I got the fifty percent off, plus I had a twenty percent off coupon and a ten dollar gift card. It came to like ten bucks or something. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Of course I opened it up and it was broken. I have to exchange it tomorrow. It was broken. But I've never had trouble exchanging things at Barnsies though, so yeah. I don't really well, that's good. Yeah, I mean I don't know, like there are definitely and I was saying to uh, my girlfriend, Kayla, like, as we were looking around at different stuff, I came to a big bin. It was either at, like, Target or Walmart or one mm. of those places that was, like, $7 Blu-rays. Yeah. And I was digging through, and I'm just, like, finding these great movies. Like, great movies. And I'm like, this would be, a you know, a great thing to uh, watch on Blu-ray. I don't own a Blu-ray player. <laughs> Neither do I, but I but have, like, like, six Blu-rays already. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, like, if I had a Blu-ray player, like, that's, like, the thing that could really, like, kind of kickstart my collecting films yeah. again. Would be, like, oh, I want to collect Blu-rays. Because, and, and there are so many great box sets um, that are you can find for pretty cheap um, on Blu-ray that are, you know, really, really cool. The Friday the 13th Blu-ray collection... That, well, you already have them all yeah. on DVD. I yeah. only have the first one. Really? Um, on DVD. Hmm. Pretty much all the other ones I watched, like, I have taped off TV on VHS and stuff like that. Well, I mean, I have uh, Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, and Freddy vs. Jason on DVD. But as far as, like, the original 80s ones, right. I just have the first one. 
Yeah, and it's like it's you know something like that. Like I already own the, the I own them all on on DVD, and it's mm-hmm. like eh, I don't know if I would be like so inclined to go out and get them on Blu-ray. You know because I don't know how much you'd really gain. From watching those movies and in HD, anyway. a lot of us have learned our lesson from upgrading all our videos to DVD. We're not going to be fooled by Blu-ray because there's going to be something better beyond that. Or if there's not, everything's just going to be streaming or whatever. And like it's, I don't know. I I invest a lot of money in DVDs, mm-hmm. and like DVDs of movies that I already had on VHS, and like I don't know. Blu-ray is not going to be like the end of it yeah i don't know exactly what the next step is necessarily but it's crazy because it almost like seeing these so many blu-rays like so cheap yeah. it makes me think like is it just dying is it just like not well netflix and everything like i don't know it's just a lot of people don't have any like physical movies mm-hmm. actually anymore like I don't know. They're they're almost like not necessary. I I've got my like little OCD collector thing, so yeah. I'm gonna keep buying them, even though it's like horrible for you know my bank account and everything, <laughs> and like so having it, space in my house. Yeah, if you were to um, estimate the value of your DVD collection, monetary value. Yeah, like, ba- like it's going down every day, no matter how many <laughs> I have. Well, because- let's let's just say like value as in like how much you paid for it oh god or who like you know if it was given as a gift like how much the value was then um how much money do you think you've you've sunk into the into the dvds oh my god that's a horrifying <laughs> thought it's I, I mean i think about that with, with maybe mine. fifty thousand. i have no idea fifty thousand. I, I have no i know i have over two thousand dvds so, so I and like you, if you figure like each one costs like X dollars, I don't even like. Let's say the average is like fifteen dollars a DVD, because you know there are a lot of like five dollar DVDs. So or over, a lot of like you so know over thirty thousand dollars. That that's my that's my student loan right there. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> that's five years of rent. Yeah, even if you say like ten dollars is the average. Which there are plenty of DVDs that you spent way more than $10 on. Definitely. Like when, when I first started buying DVDs, like when I first started doing like Criterion, when they were all like thirty five ninety nine or yeah, whatever. And yeah. And yeah, then when I would go, crazy. when there used to be um, a website called Exploited Cinema, um, which unfortunately is defunct, I would they would have... I used to have a region free DVD player and I would buy these like imports <laughs> and sometimes it'd be like 40 bucks because there was no way to see it. It wasn't. And these are movies that like in recent years have finally available come on, stateside. Yeah. Um, like Magnificent Ambersons and, uh, is that on a DVD now? Yeah. On a no frills, like $10 DVD. So I don't why know. Do, why doesn't Criterion pick that up? I don't know. Criterion is frustrating. Like, it's great that they did Nashville, because I love Nashville, but there are still uh, a few Robert Altman films that aren't even on VHS, let alone DVD. Because, like, wasn't that the whole sort of premise or initially with Criterion that was like, 
we're gonna release like the the films that are lacking a good mm. quality release yeah um and if, when you look at their catalog there it's the majority of them are like and there's over 600 worthy. films in them not yeah. even counting the eclipse series yeah and there are, and most of them are worthy yeah know, additions but yeah i mean there, there are some that are like you know that's a that's the fucking like orson welles film that like is this so much somewhat of like an unseen classic at this point because it just hasn't been available to like an entire generation and everybody you know like going into it most people know the backstory of it and like i wish people didn't know the backstory of it. i wish that i just went in and was like oh an orson welles movie that he made right after citizen kane mm-hmm. i'm gonna sit down and watch this and enjoy it on its own merit but it's impossible because you know that like oh there's this other version that doesn't even exist and while watching it, you can't even focus on, like, the greatness in that because you keep thinking, like, well, how great could it have been? Yeah, I um, I tried to watch <laughs> Magnificent Ambersons once. Mm. It uh, it was when I was at uh, Full Sail and I had a DVR. And it was it, and it wound up being played, I think, on either, like, TCM or some station was playing it. Yeah. And I saw that it was playing. I'm like, oh, I really want to because I knew that it wasn't available and I was like I, I want to record that um, and it sat on my DVR for like a while because um, I was going to school and I was you know busy and doing all kinds of stuff and then one night I was like I got home and I was really tired but I was, but there was all like the DVR was full and we needed to like kind of get rid of stuff and I'm like alright I need to go through this and uh, so even though I was really tired I watched half of the movie and I couldn't go any longer, so I'm like, I gotta, you know, go to go to sleep at class the next morning. And then the the DVR like recorded over it, so I, I haven't seen the whole thing. Do you currently have a region free player? No, because I still have my my like region two disc that I can't watch anywhere. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's funny. Like, it, I don't actually have a DVD player. Hmm. Um. I have Kayla's Xbox 360, which plays DVDs. And your laptop, too, though. And my laptop, yeah. Yeah. But the disk drive on that is kind of finicky. I don't usually like to watch movies on that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's just so strange how, like, how far we've kind of come. But on the flip side of that is, like, I have Netflix, and um, I have a Wii U. And Nintendo Wii U. And on that, they have, like, an activity log that keeps track of, like, how much time you spend playing games or, like, using apps and stuff. And I just checked it, like, yesterday or the day before or something. And, like, Netflix was my number one used app for the month at, like, it was, like, over 50 hours or something. Um, And how much is it a month? It's, like, $10 a month. Yeah, that's... Um, so that was like, and that was just a, from like December. About fifty hours spent on Netflix. So I mean, it, it's just crazy how how the times have changed. That I mean, Netflix really is the reason why I I stopped with the DVDs. I think. But. Um- I mean, there is that part of me that, like, I mean, when I'm walking through the store and I see these great deals, I'm like, oh, I want to build, you know, a really great 
Blu-ray collection or something, you know? I bought um, four DVDs the other day, I think. Um, and it was it came to less than 30. I got, uh, I got Jennifer's Body, which I haven't really heard anything good about. It's the... Oh, Diablo Cody wrote it. Megan Fox. It's got, yeah, I've never seen a Megan Fox one before. I've never heard anything about... Nobody ever talks about whether or not she's a good actress. I'm curious. <laughs> Have I seen a Megan Fox movie? They just, she was in the Transformers movie. Um, I didn't... I, I kind of watched the first Transformers, but I didn't I didn't get through the whole thing. I also bought um, The Bling Ring, which I haven't watched yet. Um, the Sofia Coppola film. Oh, okay. Uh, I know that's another... I just seen my first... Emma Watson movie Perks of Being a Wallflower that I talked about before and uh, I'm looking forward to this one and then I watched uh, I, I bought Dark Shadows and I ended up watching it the Tim Burton right and um, I was shocked I really liked it well, that's, that's a movie cool. I did cool. not expect I bought it because it was so cheap and I was like I this is probably going to be horrible but it was I thought it was funny I thought it was like it was stupid they can do better. I know that. I've, I, they did Ed Wood. Ed Wood is an amazing movie. Um, but, I mean, for what it was, it was a really fun, like, sexy time. And uh, and I also bought Spring Breakers, oh, which nice. I watched this morning. How was Speaking it? of fun, sexy times. <laughs> it, it was really disturbing. It was, like, a creepy, unsettling film. Um I'm finally convinced about James Franco's acting abilities. I haven't really seen much he's, of his stuff. He's really good. Yeah, he just completely disappears into that character. And um, I don't think I'd ever seen Vanessa Hutchinson anything before. She was really great. And Selena Gomez, um, she pisses me off. She, Wait, is she from Glee or? Wizards of Waverly Place. High School Musical or? No, that's Vanessa Hutchins. She's the one who was that's... in High School Musical and there were like photos leaked of her topless Oh, um, Selena Gomez is like you know one of those like Disney actresses, right? Right. Um, which was sort of like you know the stunt casting of Spring Breakers. Mm. Harmony Korine got like these three actresses these sort of and like his daughter. These, uh, tween, these tween pop stars. Yeah. Like, you know. um, and like Selena Gomez, you know she's all over the radio now. She, um, but like I flipping through channels, you know like. When you have cable and you get bored easily, you often find yourself, for some reason, watching the Disney Channel at three or four in the morning <laughs> and just seeing like, well, what are the kids into these days? Wizards of Waverly Place is not what I'd call a good show, but in it, you can see like this really young actress with like really great comic timing and ability that for some reason no one is taking advantage of. In Spring Breakers, they're still not. It's a serious role and, like, a dramatic role, and she actually pulls it off. But, like, I don't... It's sad because, you know, like, Disney, like, owns her or whatever. I don't know how that works with those actresses. <laughs> That's the impression I get with all those people who are on those shows. Right. Um, they just keep putting her in, like, these, like, god-awful, like... like made-for-TV movies. Yeah, and, like, there have been theatrical ones also, but they're just, like, these formulaic, you know, like, teen... Com and, yeah, teenage, so put them in a teen comedy, but, like... I, I look forward to like maybe in a few years she'll start to do some like really good like comedies. I don't, I don't know. And actually kind of become somewhat of her own person, her own, her own, her own star, I guess. Yeah. And like hopefully she gets there before she breaks down. Mm. Like they all tend to do at some point, <laughs> like Amanda Bynes and Miley Cyrus or whatever. I don't know. 
<sighs> yeah. But yeah, I know. So Tim Gagne, huge Selena Gomez fan. I am in her corner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Um, um, so <laughs> <clears throat> seeing as how this is the uh, the beginning of a new year and the end of an old one, um, I guess we should take a look back at I guess some of the some of the films that came out in 2013. Um, I didn't see a lot of them. Neither, neither did I. <laughs> I did a pretty bad job. One of my New Year's resolutions for 2014: get to the theater more often. Yeah, and um, I didn't keep track of the movies that I watched this year. I use. <laughs> it's funny, like so so many of these conversations that we have. I'm always like, well, I used to do this. Like I used to watch more <laughs> movies. I used to collect them, and I used to keep track. But um. No, for many years, like from 2008 to 2012, I kept track of every single movie that I watched in a big master list. I've been keeping track uh, since um, 2006. You're, and you're still I'm going? St- I'm, I'm still doing it. Oh, yeah. that's great. I filled that notebook. I, I write them down in a new notebook now. I just started like last week. Yeah, so that that's one of my things for, for 2014 is I'm going to... I'm gonna bring the list back it just got i just got backed up with it and i Mm. lost track and then i was like ah i guess it's over but so it's going to be hard to kind of remember exactly what i did go see in this year well you can um... because january of last year seems like forever ago so yeah well do you remember a lot of the movies well you've made a list so you remember a lot. A lot I don't of, have the list with me. You, you don't think have the list I'd remember? Uh, <laughs> I mean, as far as um, films I saw in the theater, mm-hmm. um, hands down, the best one was Blue Jasmine, the Woody Allen film. Mm. It was just amazing, like all the performances and just the. It was it was just amazing. I can't like oversell it. I don't know. And you uh, you projected it, so you. St- you didn't hear any of it, but you saw moments. Um, uh, I mean, not when I went to see it. I went to see it at a different theater. But yeah, like. no, I, we had it at Amy's where I work as a part-time film projectionist. Um, <laughs> and usually with with movies like that, like I'll make the time to to watch it, you mm-hmm. know, while I'm while I'm working, because you know, while I'm working, I'm like, you know, I have some time to like once I start the movie, I basically just have to wait till it's finished. Yeah. Um, we have two theaters and we kind of bounce back and forth but anyway um so i like to go down like when if there's not a lot of people in the theater like i'll go and just sit in the back and watch and you know i can watch the movies for right free. and for whatever reason i never got around to uh watching blue jasmine um but i i saw like you know the beginning like the beginning five minutes of the movie uh many times i'm kicking myself for not going to see it a second time at Amy's, because like, I'm at some point that is one I'm gonna get on DVD. Mm. Um, between DVD and VHS, I own all of Woody Allen's films. Really, that's yeah. quite a feat, considering um, that he's got dozens and dozens and dozens. Yeah, of them. he's done one a year since 1982. Let alone like the nine or ten he did before that. Um, yeah, that's incredible. Didn't he take a year off somewhere in there? And then okay, it was yeah, like, exactly. but he did make two movies the next year, so, or he had done two movies the year before, and then there is like an equal number of years in movies still. Like he caught up. <laughs> Damn. 
I think, wait, was it 91? No, because 91 needed Shadows of Fog, 92 was Husbands and Wives, and then, yeah. Um, but I, it's the only, the, of all the films he's done, it's only the third one he's uh, shot in uh, scope, the 235 one. Um, Manhattan, anything else, and Blue Jasmine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Manhattan's great, anything else exists and um blue jasmine is amazing and like i I would have liked to have seen it on the big screen again but yeah what are you gonna do so that's your uh your number one pick for the for the theater that's your movie of the year uh yeah i think so um i mean again i didn't see a lot i uh another one that i really liked but it it was it's no blue jasmine was uh world war z which got a lot of shit but i it convinced me finally of uh Brad Pitt's acting abilities cuz so much of the film just plays off his eyes those dreamy eyes <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a lot of i i have issues with um Oh, like action movies often i uh once the dialogue stops and the action starts and like all the fighting and whatnot um i have trouble focusing Hmm. like i just i start to like drift out of the movie and then like once it's all over and everything is calmed down i'm kind of like oh shit what happened just now i'm not i don't know and um one brilliant thing that world war z did which i only found out recently had to do with a lot of like behind the scenes turmoil um which i don't care it worked in the film's favor i think is there are a lot of like big action sequences sprinkled throughout the film, but the big climactic scene towards the end of the film is all just still and quiet. And it's great because like all these big action sequences established what the zombies are capable of. Right. It shows you what can happen if there are several zombies together and they all start fighting against all the people and everything. So like, at the end, you have this great suspense sequence mm-hmm. where right, the, the zombies, they go by sound. Um, so it's like they just have to be really quiet and they have to walk really slowly and quietly by all these zombies that are standing around them. And you're like on the edge of your seat and it works so great mm. because you've seen what happened. Before. And they didn't need to have like, oh, well, let's throw one big, huge battle at the end of the movie. Right. Like it's, they had the battles earlier so that they could have this sequence at the end. I thought that was really great. Another movie that we had at Amy's that, uh, for whatever reason, I never got around to watching. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't have watched it there because it was uh, in 3D and Amy's doesn't right, be 3D. But right. I don't. It didn't need to be in 3D. That was just a marketing thing. There, there was there was no reason that film couldn't have just been made flat. And I think actually it was transferred to yeah it was probably 3D. a transfer yeah. because I remember I don't well, remember who the I don't remember who the cinematographer was but I remember he wanted his name removed when it became 3D actually. really I, I, it was someone big too I can't remember who it was wow that's when you know you're doing something right yeah. <laughs> when the cinematographer wants his name removed <laughs> oh, that's crazy um, I'm sitting here trying to remember like what the heck I mean, I can think of a lot of, like, 
bigger kind of blockbuster movies I want because mm-hmm. that's usually what my theater going experiences are like which makes sense it's it's those are usually the ones that you like don't want to watch at home yeah I, like I want to go see like um you know Star Trek Into Darkness um, which I tried to see it has never happened Man of Steel like I want you know I, Iron Man like I want to see those ones like on a big screen like yeah. you know that kind of it's the popcorn experience you know yeah um, for a lot of the smaller movies, um, you know, a lot of times we get those at Amy's and like, I'll, you know, I can, I can just watch them there. Like I saw like Captain Phillips and Don John and was Quartet this year. I remember that was at Amy's. I, I enjoyed Quartet. I feel like that was this year. I'm not too sure though. Uh, was that this year? Yeah. I didn't watch it I think in it theaters. I watched was. it yeah. at, uh, our friend Porsche's house, but mm. And I'm trying to think back because, like, there are a bunch of movies, like, what the heck was playing, like, a, like in January and February of last year? Because <laughs> I know we had a bunch of, like, movies that were really popular and stuff, and I, I remember watching a bunch of them, but, like, I just can't. Because it was around the Oscar time. Yeah. So a lot of those Oscar movies. That so some of those Regal might have technically... was done with them, so they came back. And yeah, and so a lot of those might have technically been released in... Uh, 2012. 2012, but... Well, even if they weren't necessarily, like, in 2013, if you saw them in 2013, like, one... They're still, like, kind of relevant. One yeah. cool theatrical experience I had this year was... Uh, I talked about this in one of our earlier episodes. I went to Crossgate to see Wizard of Oz in 3D. Right. And uh, it was... It was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of your more exciting... <laughs> one of more exciting, more... I mean, like, it, it was definitely, and, uh, like... You know, it, it was good. <laughs> the film was good. I'm glad I got to see it restored, but again, I, it didn't need to be 3D. Right. Um, but and then last night, I went to Bowtie Cinema downtown Saratoga for the first time, which I it was so exciting. It was a, it's a great building, and just like walking around inside before the movie was awesome. You just went like, to the one in Saratoga, not the not Wilton the one Mall. in Wilton Mall, the one like the the one that's its own little building. Yeah, I haven't been there yet. And um, one where Brian works. Yeah, where Brian Snowball are. I was surprised he wasn't there uh, last night. He was—he's working tonight though. But it uh, seems like he's the, like, based on what I see on Facebook, he's there like every yeah. like, all, all the time. <laughs> but I went to a midnight showing of Clue, and I was shocked that for um, Clue of all things, midnight packed house, not sold out, but you know, like pretty packed. That's pretty cool. Was it on film? I don't believe so. And the framing was slightly off. Not off, but you there was, um, like, in the opening with the um, the Paramount logo, uh, you know, it's like the mountain with yep. the half circle of stars over it. Yep. The Tip stars the star. at the top didn't okay. quite make it all the way onto the screen. Mm. So, um, But it was... I don't know, it was a, I have only really seen Clue like on TV and stuff, and there's definitely little moments in there um, that I never noticed before. It's like a lot of the everyone in it is amazing. You've seen Clue, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like it's one of like Tim Curry's like greatest performances. He pretty much like carries the movie, especially like the whole like last third of it with all the endings and everything. Mm-hmm. They did show all three endings, so. Um, yeah, that's cool. But like, it probably was like a maybe like a Blu-ray 
digital is possible yeah hd projection but i mean it's you know like it one of the great things about bowtie is like it was four dollars and fifty cents real wow so that's it was not really a whole lot there's not much excuse then it was 550 i joined the bowtie club or whatever so it knocked it down to 450 i see and now whenever they show the older movies which they do all the time you know that's how much it is to see the older movies 450 if you're in the club i gotta join the club yeah and like i mean this past month you know they showed it's wonderful life white christmas um actually a non-christmas movie the warriors they showed there a couple days Hmm. um so I'm, i'm really excited that that's there now and on tuesdays um all the all the movies all day no matter what time you go there no matter which screen it's on are i believe six dollars and they've got a good selection right now they got um they got philomena playing they got frozen um 12 years a slave nebraska tomorrow night i um i believe i'm going with our friend gavin and his mother to see saving mr banks um so they I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited about this cinema being right no, there. It, it, I mean, it's nice to have like another option besides Regal, which yeah. was literally the only theater that was available like in every town within a 50 mile radius, basically. Yeah. Um, well, the only theater chain, I should say, um, which is just like really frustrating. So it's nice to see, you know something different and like because like this the small ones like the the cinema tech in Southlands falls they couldn't afford a digital projector so they're out mm-hmm. um the one up in scroon lake they're having uh actually right now tonight they, they're having a benefit to try and raise money for a digital projector um so that they can stay in business i think it's like one hundred fifty thousand dollars or something they need yeah yeah and a, um a big I, you know, good luck to, i've never made it to that theater um i've heard good things about it um they're their program tonight consists of like some silent footage of Scroon Lake or something like that, that or, and like some like behind the scenes footage of a movie that was shot there. I don't remember what it was. It's a movie I'd heard of. I didn't realize it was shot around here. Hmm. Um, an older film. Yeah. Amy is, we're trying to get, uh, a digital projector. Hmm. Um, the plan is to get two to replace both of our film projectors. I was just talking to the owner over, uh, at the Christmas party. And she was saying that we have pretty much everything lined up to get uh, one right now. Um, but we'll probably have to wait on the second one. So I think we're going to be getting a, a digital projector really soon. Now, why does everybody need a digital projector? Like, it's a, it's. I understand that, like, most theaters are projecting digitally and they're not using film. But why can't anyone use film? Why is film, like, no longer allowed? Well, it it has to do, I think, with the fact that, like, distributors are pushing for digital because it's cheaper. Yeah. Like, if you don't have to make and just manufacture, like, a whole bunch of film prints, which is expensive, then, like, why would you want to? And instead, you can just send, like, a little hard drive that you just plug in, and you can store up to, like, 14 movies on one projector. But if instead of, like... You know, like, every theater having to send, like, reels to. If there was still just, like, one theater in every, like, tri-county area mm-hmm. that had film, like, what's wrong with that? Why, like, is that really that much of a hassle? I think it's still, like, kind of, it's still that expense. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is, 
It's just greed. Though. It's just the business. Side. It is. Le- it would be less expensive to have to send it to just one theater. Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily call it greed. It's just like $1. you know, like why? If if ninety percent of of all theaters are going to be this digital version, which is way cheaper to to produce, then like, why are we even like paying so much to make these few film prints? Um, for you know the last ten percent for people who'd like to see film, yeah, I mean it's they are out there. Oh yeah, I mean certainly, um, and I appreciate watching a movie on film, especially like older movies. Um, mm. You know, you you want to see if you're gonna go see. That's why, like you know, when I ask about Clue, like, did you see it on film? Is it was it a film print? Because it's just becoming such a rarity. And like it definitely wasn't on film because every time the camera would pan, it wouldn't go out of focus. So, I mean, until digital gets that down, maybe let film stick around because like, digital's not per- perfected yet. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting like, it's getting closer and closer. It's just... Uh... Even Blue Jasmine, which was the best film I saw this year, and it was shot on film, it was projected digital. So when the camera would pan, which like happens, like Woody Allen loves like really like lengthy takes. And, like, the camera will follow characters around. And, like, you know, the camera's moving and it's getting blurry and stuff. You can't quite... Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one thing that, like, I've really come to appreciate the the look of, of, of a movie being projected on film since I've mm. been working at Amy's. Yeah. Um, it It's really... It's amazing because these projectors have to be... It's this balancing act of, like this wonder of engineering that you have this like this film it's this you know thin little piece of like emulsion and you're shooting it through this projector that through all these gears at so fast that you're getting like one frame well 24 frames every one second just like so fast that your eye can't even pick up the 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 changes from frame to frame at the same time you're blasting like this insanely hot and insanely bright light when these bulbs that are like dangerous you know like you yeah you these crazy xenon bulbs that like if you're trying to change them like there's a very real chance like if you drop it like it's gonna explode like and you have to like there's a special case that you need to like you know carefully put it in you can't you know you got to be really there's all these disposal protocols you have to go through and for all of all of it's like all the all of those technical sort of hurdles to overcome it's still like really reliable and it's like it's it's crazy how well it, the system works um even though i mean with film there obviously are like downsides when you talk about like quality I mean, we get film prints all the time that are just scratched all the hell, um, just terribly scratched. I've been to theaters where um, the issue is um, projectionists who might not know how to be a projectionist. Yeah, th- there are those issues too. Even seeing like a big movie like Spider-Man Two. Um, did you were you with me when I saw that? Uh, it was like the night before like the midnight showing before the day it came out and did, did um, you see it at aviation yeah and one of the reels started upside down and it played for like a that. minute and then all of a sudden it stopped it like stopped and he fixed the reel and like started it mm. right side up 
Um, and then the, I, you know, I went to the French Film Festival down at Purchase for several years, which, you know, for a long time was the only place I'd actually watch movies on film. Um, and there were, I don't know who the hell, it might be a union thing. They can't get rid of whatever fucking monkey is in that booth. But, um, like there was one time he just started a reel and just fell right off. Like he forgot to like attach it (laughs) to the projector or something. And these are reels that, you know, like the distributors are in the audience. They're bringing these reels with them to the festival. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm dropping it on the floor. And, um... What was it? We were watching that film that came out last year. This past festival, we were watching this film, uh, Renoir, which was about, um, well, Jean Renoir and his father, the painter. Um, and, like, there were, at one point, the whole thing became, like, this weird, like, stuttering slow motion type thing. And people were, like, yelling in the theater, like, stop it! Like, fix it! And they were just like... like they didn't, and eventually they did. Mm-hmm. And then we watched this... Um, Oh, Becoming Traviata. That's another really good film I saw in theaters. It's a documentary about a, a um, production of the opera Traviata. Um, maybe a third of the way through, it, there have been so many issues, and finally the film just like broke or something, and the film just like like we're watching the screen fall apart, and there was like twenty minutes of us all just sitting there waiting for them to fix it, and then finally yeah. they showed the rest of the film in digital. And then the rest of the festival, they showed in digital because they just gave up. And that might be one of several reasons why the that, I mean, film that it, festival is not returning to purchase this year. It's going to be at Greenwich instead. Mm-hmm. I mean, film, it, it, it is like, it's complicated. And like, you know, l- there are less and less people being trained every year to actually like, mm. you know, work with it and like know everything about it um it's a steep learning curve you know like my first couple weeks doing it like i made a lot of mistakes and like you know (laughs) i i you know nearly broke the film a few times and like got had film stuck in the get caught in the projector and nearly burn a hole in it and like this is stuff that was like noticeable to the audience yeah, the, yeah, luckily that there's there's one instance in particular that happened during the credits, and there was only like one uh, table left yeah. in the theater. Um, but yeah, the whole film got just jammed in the projector, and it was like just like stuck back and forth, like jittering up okay. and down, and then it's like starting to burn and like and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I've and <laughs> sometimes just like you know stu- weird stuff happens. Like I'll start the movie and like, there'll just be no sound. I'll be like, why is there no sound? Um, so I'll have to stop and then troubleshoot all the all the sound things. You know, is the is the laser actually on inside the projector? Because there's a little you know there's a little laser that reads the the audio um, tape right on the on the film you know if because sometimes that just like won't be on for whatever reason um you gotta fiddle around with that so i i mean i don't know there's 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 definitely issues um and it's it's a mechanical thing too unlike a digital projector which is like uh you know it doesn't have like 
any moving parts except for like a cooling fan or something. Mm. This thing, you've got all these gears like, and like, if there's one thing wrong, one tiny little thing, like the whole thing will fall apart. And that's what's, that's what's so amazing to me about it is that it's just this crazy, it's just this wonderful feat of engineering that people figured out like a hundred years ago, (laughs) you know? Um, 120 years ago at this point. So, so it, and that's like basically the same system that's been used. Like, it's, you know, with little upgrades and changes right. and like, like you were, mentioned the laser, the laser, <laughs> <laughs> what the Lumiere brothers didn't have a laser. Back? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean like, not to mention the audio strip on the side. The audio strip, yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, I don't have to deal with like, uh, changing film reels. Um, because we've got like the, the film platters where you just stitch all the, that still come, the, the movies still come right. all broken up into reels. But you just stitch them all together so that they all are one big film reel that lays on its side on a platter. Um, that way you don't have to, like, you know, wait till the reel is over and then, like, no! <laughs> and then you change it over <laughs> to the other, you know, the other projector. Um, that's kind of just a crazy... I'm glad I don't have to deal with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean the the worst. Whenever I, the I always feel the worst, like when there are some movies that are just scratched beyond belief, because I'm just like I have no control over that at all, and like we we just get what is sent to us, you know. Hmm. And a lot of times, if a movie is way too scratched, then we have to say like you know, there, we can't show this anymore. You have to send a new copy of it, and it's weird. Like I mean, there's just no. I don't know if they check it in between being sent, you know, from theater to theater or what. But um Yeah, I always I always feel bad because it's just like it's not my fault. But no one ever seems to really complain so much about anything really. Even when like sometimes we'll have like an audio hum or a buzz um in one of the theaters. And to me, like, I'll go in and I'm just like, damn, that buzz is really, like, killing me. Like, it's really loud, you know? And I'll try to, like, kind of minimize it. But nobody ever complains. Um, it's the kind of thing that would drive me insane if I'm trying to watch a movie, you know? I think that's the thing about a lot of theater goers is they don't care, maybe. I mean, it could just be, like, manners. Like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. sure they're doing their best. We're not going to go bother them about a little hum or something yeah, like and that. Yeah, and I've become but, much more sympathetic to, yeah. the, to the to the plight of the film projector. Because it is, like, there's a lot of I I mean, I was complaining that, a lot earlier. But, I mean, like, the things I was talking about are things that happened repeatedly <laughs> oh, over know, a number know, of years at the same theater. But also, like, so. I, I, my, I under, because I understand things, I'm like, you know, if I see something, it's like, I know what the problem is, you know. Yeah. And you have to, like do this or because with like the framing issues and stuff like you that's easily that's easily fixed mm. most of the time like you're talking about like oh the top of the screen was cut off a little bit right like you can reframe that you know more or less or like if, you, if you're watching a movie and it's like slightly out of focus like that's something that you should be able to fix like if you have if the projector is not completely broken you know yeah. and like it's one thing if you're like at an amateur thing like the um APE 
in Glens Falls, like, we'll, like, project movies by Crandall Library all summer. Like, outside. Yeah. I and, mean, like, they, it's not anybody, like, they're not actually professional projection. They just set up a little projector, hit and play, it's outside, and then they leave. And, like, you know, and like the, you know, there's, like, light coming from all different yeah. places. And like, but, I mean, know. like, they, but, I mean, that the light coming from, that doesn't affect, like, you know, they just kind of, like, set the projector there, and it's framed wrong. Like the bottom of the screen is like on the grass, and the <laughs> <laughs> right that that would drive. And and also like you can see it's it's free, so whatever they're projecting DVDs. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that if it's free. Um, you know, unlike if you're driving like two hours downstate to see a movie and they show a DVD and for ten dollars, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, um, but like they, I watched the Muppet movie and like they had the menu screen came up and it was like full screen or widescreen and they chose full screen. <laughs> And you're in like, front of everybody. <laughs> they didn't even hide their shame. Yeah, like it. I don't even know. And it's like if you're showing it on a big screen, what do you benefit? Like, what, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's I don't know. That's APE, I guess. Yeah, they're they're pro full screen. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone should be pro filling the screen, but it's just how you fill the screen that's that's the important part. I mean, I could tell that it was not open mat. Right, because there are some full frame that, like Stanley Kubrick's films, when they came out on DVD, people complain that like, oh, these are full frame, these aren't widescreen. It's like, well, it's because he shot with like open mat, so you actually get more of his intended picture or something. So. Yeah, I read that uh, according to his like widow or his daughter or something that like, um, as TV was getting more, as he was making films like movies older movies were being shown on tv right so he was like going in to a lot of his films with the intention of making it like okay to view in the four by three ratio yeah um and that was kind of like his preferred viewing on like a home screen or something crazy so like that's why like the Kubrick estate like explicitly wanted the his movies to be released on home video like in that format or something. And it makes I mean when he first started making films he was made like in the his fifties films they were full screen because mm-hmm. that's just you know how it was then especially for low budget filmmakers like him. Um, and it is like weird to think that like oh I'm watching my TV and like you know two thirds of it sometimes are black. <laughs> And yeah. I'm watching this strip in the middle. <laughs> yeah. The sad strip. But I mean, like, if that's the only way to see the entire film, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you got to do. Yeah, it, it often is just like, well, what's the, what is more important to you? The 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 audio buzz thing. And you saying like, oh, most people don't really care. Mm. It reminded me of when I was in uh, Florida, there's a theater called the Enzion. And they used to show classic films on films. They would get film prints. Nice. And I saw Jurassic Park like that. Um, and that was great. It looked awesome. Um, and one night they were they, they said, we're going to show Blue Velvet on film. And I, w- you know, I was excited. I was, that was <laughs> ama- like, holy crap, like Blue Velvet, that's going to be amazing. So me and uh, Chris and a few of our friends, like, we all got tickets and, you know, we were all ready to go. And um, we go to the theater and it's completely sold out. 
you know, everyone's drinking like Heineken's and past blue ribbons and everyone's excited. Everyone's like in, in the, in uh, the theater. Yeah. Because it was, a, it's a dinner and movie place. I forgot oh, to mention okay. that. It was a dinner and movie place like Amy's. So they served alcohol and food. Um, and the movie starts and there's this audio buzz that isn't just like a slight hum. It's mm. like as loud as, or even louder than the actual audio track of the movie. Oh, sure. Just like, just going the entire time and uh you know so it starts and i'm thinking like maybe you know maybe they'll fix it you know that's kind of the initial impression when a movie starts and it's like that you're like well they're probably working on it you know they're probably trying to fix it so about like you know 10 minutes goes by or whatever and it's still not fixed and um I'm thinking maybe, and we're kind of looking at each other like, do we really want to like sit here and like li- like watch the movie like this? You know, because this is just horrible. Like you can't even really you can't even really hear it. Um, everyone in the theater seemed to be like enjoying it, and they were like you know kind of ignoring it, but it was just like too much for for us to to bear. Um. And I was kind of waiting. I was saying, like, why don't we wait until, like, you know, the film reel changes? Because maybe it's just, like, something on this film reel. Like, the audio, you know, strip is, like, fucked up or something. Or, I don't know. Holding out hope that, like, this will fix itself somehow. But we got, I think we got about, like, 20 minutes into the movie. And we decided, like, you know, we didn't want to stick around anymore. So we got up and we left and we went out to the box office and we were like, yeah, I don't know, like can we get our money back? Because this is like unwatchable basically like it, like ser- and it, I've never asked for my money back for a movie yeah. before, regardless of anything. But this was like, you know, you couldn't hear because there was this annoying buzzing sound going through the whole thing. And they're like, yeah, we don't know why it's doing that. Like it just can't, it, it's something, it's a problem with the film. We don't know what's going on with it. Um, but they wouldn't give us our full ticket price back because we stayed for, you know, over a certain amount of time, a certain amount of minutes. that they Even though they admitted that they weren't showing a good version of it. Yeah. That's kind um, of bullshit. So we got half of our ticket prices back. But the funny thing is, is like um, Chris had just got the, uh, the, the David Lynch DVD collection, the Lime Green set, which came out around that time in like 2008, um, which had a brand new... Uh, version of Blue Velvet with mm. a completely re- remastered audio track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, that was like its selling point. It was like the audio is like completely remastered. Um, And he had just got it like the week before or something like that. So we all were like, let's go back to the apartment and watch it. <laughs> watch that version. So, you know, we watched uh, we watched it on DVD. But, I mean, it's, it was such a shame because it looked so good on film, you know, like mm. it just looked awesome. Um. Is I've been in situations like that where like you look around like you're really upset with like what's going on with the movie you're watching and you look around and everybody else just is, has like a big smile on their face mm-hmm. and it's like am I crazy yeah like why aren't they upset like I don't get like I have a really crappy TV and when I mention that to like 
uh, my family, who's like my, you know, my friends all notice, oh, wow, the image really sucks on this. And I'll mention it to like my parents or my sister. And they're like, I can see what's going on. And it's like, <laughs> that's not my goal. Like, I don't like, oh, well, as long as I can see what's going yeah. on. <laughs> well, it reminds me of, um, I, I went to, uh, this was back in high school. Yeah. Do you know the movie Lishian? Yeah, the local, the yeah, Demcon production. <laughs> um, local, I auditioned for it, but I was not in it. So local yeah. filmmakers, uh, the Demarche brothers and... Jeff Cunning- and Zach, and then Rick Cunningham. Cunningham, or Demcon Productions. Yeah. They made this uh, this film. They were from like Saratoga, I think, right? Well, they went to South High. They went to South High? Yeah, they all went to South High. Um, I didn't know that they went to South Rick High. Rick was in my sister's grade. I think they dated for like two weeks in seventh grade or something no shit. like that I, I for some reason like i always thought they were like saratoga no kids. zach was the youngest one i think he was one year ahead of me oh well anyway so they made this movie called lishian um you know and they were they were like right out of high school like yeah. you know very very young like maybe like 18 19 maybe 20 years old yeah. probably they'd already done they did two movies they did one that was definitely in high school and then they did was the Funk their second movie? I've I think, heard of I, I've heard of the Funk. I saw I the Funk at Crandall Library in the basement. They premiered uh, okay. it, um, and then like Lishan was supposed to be like their big one, right? And you know, granted, like I mean, like for what they were able to, it's, it's a feature length film. Yeah. First of all, it's a period piece. Yeah. Um. And I won't go too much into like you know the merits of the film or whatever. It was a long time ago since I've seen it. But um, I will say that, like, you know, it, th- what they were able to achieve was impressive for the time. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> um, our friend Matt Nardone had a copy of the movie on DVD. And he was he kind of knew them. He was, like, kind of friends with them or something. I think they lived in his neighborhood, maybe. Or one of them did. Okay, yeah. Um, and we were going over to Alicia our friend Alicia's house, um, who is now dating my brother. And she made the awesome scarf that I'm wearing right now to stay warm. Uh, but at the time, like I didn't really know her. She was a grade ahead of me. Um, and so it was like me and Chris and Matt Nardone and like, I think Matt Hauk and maybe Ryan Fitzgerald. And, um, we went over to Alicia's house and for years, this was the only experience I ever had with Alicia. Was like going to her house to watch Alicia. <laughs> um, and so we put the movie in, and there was something wrong with the TV. It was just like really dark. Yeah. And for most of the movie, it was like it wasn't really that noticeable. It was kind of just because during like daytime scenes and stuff like that. But once it got to like nighttime, it was. Uh, and it wasn't i think like towards the beginning of the movie it was like it started out fine and then as there's something wrong with the tv like as the longer you played it the darker it got because it seemed like the movie just got darker and darker and darker and darker to the point where it was literally like (laughs) like six people sitting in the room not saying anything watching just looking at a black screen (laughs) in which you could faintly see like the outlines of like people moving and we were just like watching it for a long time like that. And I think it had to do with like just like the gradual progression of it. Mm-hmm. Like you could like you could see you could see it and then it was just like suddenly you realize like 
How long have we been looking at this black screen <laughs> without, without like saying anything? And so then we all kind of looked at each other like, there's something wrong here. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other funny thing is like, I went into the house and like, I took my shoes off mm. and I had these like, um, uh, Chuck Taylor, uh, black shoes with like fire streaks on the sides, you know, flames cool real cool for my (laughs) high school you know 2003 you know 11th grade me um i took them off by the door by this closet where with everybody else's shoes when i go to leave i find only one shoe (laughs) and we looked everywhere and i left with one shoe it just vanished there's been nothing since then, no uh, no admissions of anything, like nothing. Since then. I mean, I, I held on to it because, like, Alicia was like, I'll look for it and I'll try to find yeah. it. And, like, you know, I'll, you know, it's got to be here somewhere. You know, it's either in the closet or it's, some, it's somewhere. So I held on to that one shoe for a long time, like years. And I never got anything, you know, never wow. heard anything back. I'm like, I guess that shoe is just lost. So eventually, after like a few years, I threw the shoe away. Like, you know, it's useless. It's only one shoe. Then a few years after that, Alicia finally was like, when she kind of came back around into our sort of group. Yeah. She was like, oh, yeah, I have that shoe. Remember that shoe that you lost? Like, I have it. And so I got that shoe back. Um, but I th- thrown the <laughs> other one away. So That's why you never get rid of your shoes. Yeah, exactly. Kayla. She's always making me get rid of my old holy shoes. Bring him here. I have a whole locker (laughs) full of shoes here. That's true. That's true. No, I've Um, got, yeah, I've got some old ratty shoes that I need to get rid of. The thing about the screen going black reminds me of um, when I was in the the film society at, uh, at Purchase. I was in charge of the weekly screenings. And we showed um, The Conversation, the Francis Ford Coppola film, uh, which, is, which is a fairly dark film. And we did not have great digital projectors there. We would just watch it like in, in lecture halls. Um, and it did seem like as the movie went on, it started getting darker. Hmm. And nobody was saying anything. And at one point... I got up and went to the lectern um, and like started like I opened up the cabinet and like tried to fiddle with things and I was like looking at the screen and all I could do was make it darker. <laughs> so I like undid what I had done and then like two other people came down and were trying to help me and like we had no idea. Um, but yeah, it was a really frustrating, horrible experience watching that movie. <laughs> it's hard work being a projectionist, right? It wasn't me. All I did was hit play. <laughs> That's all I do, to be honest. <laughs> what uh, now? When they do switch to digital, what does happen to you as a projectionist? I don't know. Well, do, we you, do you still do you show up at the beginning of your shift, hit play, and then wait? Presumably, I mean, I don't know. They haven't talked about what goes on with the. Uh, you know, I know that like you can set it to like automatically start, automatically stop, and do all this kinds of stuff. But I don't know exactly what, how much they'll they'll need me. So I mean, f- for the last like year, and more specifically, the last like six months or so, like as they've been talking more and more about it, I'm like, is my job like secure? 
At least for now, they're only getting the one. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but I mean, the, this is uh, there will always be somewhere, even if not like right around here, that's projecting film. Yeah. And uh, it might get to a point where, like, uh, you know, you're one of the few people out there who does it. Yeah, I mean, and that's why, like, I feel like kind of uh, really thankful that I got this. I've, I've worked at this job for, um, I guess, going on two years. Yeah, I just had, I. Yeah, it'll be two years. Hmm. Um. I kind of snuck in like at the at the tail end of this of like the the film experience, you know. Um I'm I'm thankful that I have I've had the experience of 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 getting intimate with like the film projectors and with like the films themselves and like you know doing all the you know the splicing and that kind of stuff. Sorry, when you said that I was just thinking like why did you fire that Max guy? He was getting intimate with the projector. <laughs> <laughs> I also had to be rushed to the emergency room <laughs> because I was getting a little too intimate with the projector. That damn bulb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to touch it with your skin. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, that reminds me, uh, Quentin Tarantino owns a movie theater somewhere, probably in California, I think. And part of that, his whole thing is, like, it will always have film projectors and it will always show films he's one of the big directors out there who refuses to work with digital right? yeah. Yeah. yeah even even a lot of the old uh, the old guard are have gone to, to digital and gone to 3D and gone to all sorts of different places um, you know and it's not like something that I mean it's a nat- it's, it's a natural progression like it's you know, it's going to happen, like, it's, it's, I think it's pointless to say, like, you know, oh, there should be more directors working with film, or there, you know, why is, like, Martin Scorsese not working with film, or any of this kind of stuff. I don't think that one is specifically better than the other, it's just, you know, they each have their own merits. But it's nice to think that people could have a choice. Yeah. Like, there could be film and digital. And, you know, it's, like, color and black and white. Of course, it's going to be, like, a million times more color films and mm-hmm. black and white films. But at least people can still do black and white. And, yes, you know, because of, like, what's, you know, what digital is more capable of and, like, how uh, much less money you have to spend on digital, there's going to be a million times more digital films than film films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we should still have that option. Yeah. And like there should be these little places the, everywhere the, you have the, them. the real shame is is the showing films on film. Hmm. Like that going away. Because man, I talked about the blue velvet experience. On the flip side of that, like I got the opportunity to watch the pilot of Twin Peaks on a thirty five millimeter film print hmm. out at the Twin Peaks Festival. Yeah. And holy crap, it was amazing. It was a film print like from David Lynch's personal collection like he loaned it to the the festival to be able to show it and it just looked so fantastic and i've seen the pilot the twin peaks like i don't even know how many times and it has never looked that good 
you know, and it's like you can transfer it to like, you know, I mean, I've, I haven't seen it like in HD, like I don't, because it hasn't even been released on Blu-ray or anything like that, but like. Soon though, right? Isn't it coming out? Yeah, like the there are rumors that set. it's going to, that Twin Peaks is going to be coming out on, in a complete Blu-ray collection and sometime in March. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's really nothing like the, the film just has like this like warmth to it. Yeah. This real kind of like. And it's almost hard to explain, like, it's this, like, I think a warmth is somehow the best way to describe it in my mind. There, well, it's like, um, you would describe vinyl in that way, the warmth. Mm-hmm. Like, as opposed to listening to, like, uh, a digital music file. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of people, like, kind of, it's easy to kind of turn your nose up at some people who have, like, the opinions of, like, you know, oh, I only watch movies on film. Or I only listen to music on vinyl. But, I mean, it, there really is a difference. Yeah. there, It's an undeniable difference. I mean, like, an MP3 does not have the same kind of quality as a vinyl or even a CD. Yeah. Like, because of the compression. For most things, like, it's, like, a DVD is fine. For most things, a CD is fine, you know? For casual listening and casual viewing. But it is a shame. It's it's funny because as the technology has gotten better and better and better, like the actual viewing quality of movies has gone down because like watching a movie on film, there is a just a huge difference. There are people out there right now grown adults at this point probably never seen a film on film it's possible yeah there's definitely a ton of people under the age of 10 who have never seen a film on film and it's like i wonder if they were to see something on a film if they'd be like what's wrong with this why is it all weird looking and i think especially like seeing classic films on film yeah really changes your perspective on the whole thing because like like see, like that that Twin Peaks pilot just it blew my mind because I mean that was shot on film. The whole series wasn't shot on film, but that that initial pilot was. Hmm. And um, and after not seeing like, it, there's never been an opportunity to see that on film because it was you know broadcast on television, then put out on VHS, then put out on DVD. It was never had like a film a theater run or anything like that. So you see it on all these different formats. And then seeing it on film, you're like, holy shit. It's like, it's like night and day. There, you see so much detail that, like, you never notice. And just, like, it's more engrossing. And, like, it, and seeing it up on a big screen, like, it pulls you in. Like, it's a whole new movie. So, and, and I just think about, like, how many classic films, all of the classic films I've ever seen. I've seen the majority of them on DVD or, you know, even on Netflix and stuff like that. Mm. But, like, imagine seeing, like, you know, Kubrick's films on film in a theater or Hitchcock's or... Or Technicolor films. Yeah, I mean... Like, from the late 30s to the early 50s when there was that certain kind of three-strip Technicolor. Like, people... Like, I watched a documentary about, like, the history of Technicolor and there were, like... 
like you know like elderly people in it saying like you'll never see it you won't like you'll watch films in technicolor but you've never really seen a film in technicolor because and like it's different it is different and like i'm dying to see a film in technicolor now like <laughs> i want what like, it actually what the experience actually is it's like i can't imagine watching something like like gone with the wind like i feel like i'd crap my pants if i saw something like yeah. that if it was even more like some of those like sunsets and everything mm-hmm. like it's william cameron menzies designed that film in such a painterly fashion or even like something like fantasia right yeah which like honestly has always somewhat bored me but if i was to see it on the big screen on film like I don't in fanta sound what, is that an actual thing, or is that, a that, <laughs> that yeah the the sound oh, no. that the 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 sound mix that they initially had oh okay <laughs> on, on Fantasia was billed as yeah. Fanta Sound, and I think it was um, it wasn't like five point one surround sound mm. that came later yeah but like it was something that was like they put a speaker in the back or like they they yeah. added a speaker somewhere and it was like you know before that there had only been in like either it's just stereo or something. I don't know. I can't remember, but it was this like, you know, different kind of thing. But like any of the, like singing in the rain or any of the films of Vincent Minnelli. Yeah. I just, or, God damn it. I why mean, do we live now? <laughs> <laughs> of course, if we didn't live now, we probably wouldn't even have seen a lot of those films. I know. And that's like the flip side of it is yeah. like, now we have like the technology is to the place where like, <laughs> and it's funny cause like people living back then, who like once the movie's in the theater, once it's gone, like that's it. Like there's no other chance to see it. Like although I mean, but they did keep them out there to a degree, right? Like maybe like the big ones, and like yeah. you know they would you know show some movies over and over again, like on a yearly basis almost. But like ninety seven percent of all movies, like just once it's out of the theater, it's just yeah. it's just gone. And even, I mean fifty percent. At least 50% of all films released before 1950 are gone forever, now, anyway. No matter what, you'll forget format, forget DVD, VHS film, they just don't exist anywhere. Right. Which is horrifying. Like the film prints are just lost to time. Yeah. And like sometimes they do find (laughs) one, like, um, oh, what's the, oh, um, earlier this year they found, I think it was in, Australia. It was in some really random place. They found like a short that the Three Stooges had done with Ted Healy at MGM that was like, you know, like the lost Three Stooges film. And like they just found it. So like every now and then like something pops up. Yeah. But we're never going to have. No, you won't get 100%. Any, like, yeah. yeah. It's. But it's funny because like, you know, I, th- I. Talking with my dad about like him growing up. Um, he was like, you know, a big fan of like James Bond movies and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, he had like at least the opportunity to catch movies on TV when they'd be played then. But even then, like, you know, it would be like a once, (laughs) once in like a couple, maybe a year or like two years, who knows when it's going to be on next, you know? Right. And so it's be like, oh my god, like Goldfinger is on, like, and he'd run and get like a tape recorder and just record the audio, just so that like he could listen back to it and imagine the movie again. Um, so it's funny because you're like, why do we have to live in this time when it's like there are like so many people back then who are like, look yeah. at what we have, where it's like you're you have an entire fucking film library in your house, 
like you like $50,000 worth of DVDs and you know that you can watch at any time and people back then would be like oh my god like you have everything you have every movie and you can watch it like whenever um but that's the trade-off i guess you know yeah. either we have access to everything or you know we we don't at least the films always have to be like the film films those reels still have to be preserved to make the digital versions yeah they always, they're going to always have to be in a vault somewhere to get the because otherwise if you just keep making copies from copies and copies you know they lose a generation every time and yeah and at this point we still don't know how long a dvd is gonna last or even a blu-ray that's true um (coughs) there are sort of differing theories about like how long the data can stay on on a disc before it you know Mm. because on a dvd or on a cd like it's not exactly permanent. There's still, you know, it's that, that really thin film because most of it, like a DVD is just plastic. Yeah. If you took like a nickel or something and scratched on like the label, there's that sort of like rainbowish color, um, reflective surface that you see when you look at the bottom of a DVD. Right. That's just a thin strip, like thinner than a piece of paper, basically. That is just stamped onto the plastic coating. That's all that 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 and that's where all the information is, just on this little thin wafer. Um. You know, and those like over time, whether it's you know, hundred years, thousand years, I don't know how long it lasts. You know, but it it will like reach a point where it just can't. You can't pull any information off of it. I think it's kind of scary. Just like deterioration. I, I've fallen for that before, trusting like digital too much. Like I had um, one time, I wanted to look at some stuff that I had written when I was a kid, and I'd saved on a disc. On like a floppy disc. But not floppy disc. It was still they were still called floppy discs, but they weren't floppy anymore. Right, there not, was the, a, there not was a, the big floppy, but yeah. the uh, the the small. Hard, and like it was, for years, floppy. I didn't know they were called floppy discs because I remember the floppy floppy discs, which you could actually flop around. Yeah, and then there were like these little versions of them mm-hmm. with like the metal thing that like slid back and forth and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And like I didn't realize those were also called floppy discs until like later. But anyway, um, and like I went and I put it in a computer and it was like blank. And I, I was like, oh, it's not here. And I said that to like one of my friends, and they're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't stay. And I'm like, well, what the fuck is it for then? What do you mean it doesn't stay? I thought you saved something to a disc, and it saved. And they're like, no. Like, I I don't know. Like, that's, I'm just, I get really frustrated with technology. Yeah. It's and still I mean, like, like well, I thought I'm saving paper here. But and all these, uh, like, external hard drives and stuff. Like, yeah. no one knows really, like, how long the information will last on an external hard drive. We have and, to like, print everything ever and put it in like safes and stuff and they're like yeah and they're like you know certain archives like digital archives that have to transfer everything from all the hard drives to brand new hard drives yeah like every i don't know how what the time length is that they do it um maybe it's like five years but I, i honestly don't know um just to make sure that you know the hard drives are gonna are going to last even if you're not doing anything with them like there's still the potential that like there's going to be some data loss there 
I remember when I was at Purchase and um, I was taking um, principles of montage, which you know was mostly like editing theory, but we'd also like actually like edit in practice. And um, the guy who ran the computer lab where we were all like using the consoles for editing and stuff, he was saying like, you know, don't come in here using any of like your old mini DV tapes because you know a couple people they try bringing in their old mini DV tapes like from high school and stuff, and um, it ends up like messing up the computers. And I'm sitting there like, first of all, old mini DV tapes. I I never saw one in high school, but I, then again, I was a few years older than like some of the people there. Um, but that's another thing like that I don't. So that's I'm thinking like so all my stuff that's on mini DV tapes isn't existing anymore. Like, I, I don't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> Apparently, it's dangerous to put an old mini-DV tape in uh, one of their computers or something. Well, I mean, with a, with an old mini-DV tape, I you know, it also depends, like, if you've got, like, an old mini-DV tape reader, like an old tape deck. But I mean, this would have been a difference of four years. Right. I mean, but, I, like, had, I had, like, at the TV station, we had this old... And by you know it was a it was a mini DV deck tape yeah. deck, um, and it wasn't like that old, but like just because of the continue continuous use over like you know five years or something like that, it was like because every time that the you play back a mini DV tape, there's little specks of dust and dirt that have worked their way into the cassette mm. that gets deposited on the heads that you know you. Uh, the heads that are reading the tape in whatever in the camera that you're playing it on or the tape deck or whatever and conversely like the tape is also picking up a whole bunch of shit that's on the heads so like you know there if you had like a really old shitty tape deck you wouldn't want to like play old mini dv tapes on it because like you Uh know it could just like fuck up the tape now did they not have the like for vhs they had the cleaners you put in a tape you oh yeah there the i think you yeah. hit record and let it sit there for 30 minutes and yeah. then it like you bring it out and like you like it's got all the dirt and stuff yeah i mean that, through all the time that like you know i spent with with chris and with nice guys productions um you know working with mini dv because yeah. for a long time that's what we what we use to do like the Ravicon show i have a ton of mini dv oh with i stuff mean we, on them <laughs> i've never i've never had a mini dv camera so i've never actually watched any of it so i'm hoping it still exists the uh the tape archive that we have is just unreal hundreds mm-hmm. of tapes um through all of that experience like I've never seen that. Like they they sell those like those the tape cleaners the uh, okay. or the, the camera cleaners the head cleaners. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll record something and it will get all digital glitchy or you know a whole half of the screen will not have recorded because one of the heads didn't record properly and it's like oh you got to put the tape cleaner in. It never seems to fucking work. I don't know what it's like doing or what it's, you know, supposedly doing. I think it's just trying to clean all the gunk off. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe it's like the original Nintendo. You, you just, just kind of, you open it up, you blow into it. <laughs> yeah. You close it, open it again, close it twice and then put the thing in. <laughs> that was, that was, that worked with us. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Until but, my uh, sister spilled Kool-Aid in it. Then there was no, there's no going anything, back yeah. but i mean i'm i'm glad that the mini dv days are over um 
working with the the all digital formats is just so much easier. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I at school I had the uh, the the opportunity and the luck really to like in the film program at Full Sail, like we actually shot two movies on film. Um, one on sixteen millimeter and one on thirty five millimeter. Um, was I, it was it kind of? Now I'm assuming you didn't have to pay for any sort of uh, developing or whatever. So like, well, I mean, it's taken out of like the tuition basically. Right. So you weren't like too scared about like. Do we print all the takes or do we like? They you... printed all the takes. Oh, okay. But it was kind of like there was a specific number, of, like specific amount of film that we had to use for each project. Like you know, we go in to for our sixteen millimeter. It was like you know, I think we only had three three days of shooting, mm. and they're like, you only have this amount, this much amount of film, um, and with both projects we ended up getting to the point where it's like we needed more film um so you have to like basically like submit like a request like a formal request for you know for more film but how long was your like in minutes how long was your film um dollhouse which was the 16 millimeter that one i think was about somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes and how much time do you think was like printed? Oh, how much was on the film? Um, no, I mean I was asking like the length of the finished product, but also like what was right. Um, yeah, with all the takes, at one time I did know the exact amount of like the number of film reels that we went through. I can't remember. It's like eleven minutes to a to a reel. I think it was probably about an hour and a half, maybe, maybe two wow. hours. Can you imagine having to pay for the film and everything then and for the... Oh, yeah, no, it's like, and just renting the camera. That's why I really admire people like, um, like Roger Corman who could churn out like really like who turn out movies really quick, like yeah. on film and everything. Mm -hmm. But he would be astute enough. Like t when he did the little shop of horrors, which is famous for being shot in two days. Mm. What he did was he hired all the actors for the full week for five days and then just make three, <laughs> three, three full days of rehearsal, right? More than eight hours, three full days of rehearsal. And then those two days, cameras rolling everybody's right there mm -hmm. doing what they know what they're supposed to do yeah and that's kind of like what when when we had doll when we made dollhouse it was like we had three days to shoot i think yeah. um they were kind of preparing us for that whole notion of like you know you're not going to have a lot of money basically mm -hmm. you're only going to be able to rent these cameras for like a couple days like if, if you're doing like this kind of short film or if you're doing a feature like you still need to be like very very economical with your time and very economical with your film because every second that you're you're on you're you're in production like is costing you money um and every second you're rolling that film is costing you money so i mean it was a good it was a good lesson um and it's it, you know it's kind of tough coming from the the 
the digital or I mean, really if we were coming from the the mini dv sort mm-hmm. of mindset of just like you know the tapes cost like you know like ten dollars for like three tapes or something like that you know um just keep it rolling the whole time just keep just, it rolling you know, yeah like, and we shot so many that was like how we shot like ravicon and just like everything you know um just keep it rolling just <laughs> throw some costumes on the actors and like let them basically improvise and like just never stop filming that's kind of like the mantra i think of like you know that kind of ultra low budget it's just like mm-hmm. never stop recording but i you know we've since kind of not tried to not do that so much because even just like going like because now the big expense is like hard drive space yeah with digital is that it's just like <laughs> you've got the cameras that are producing like these huge hd files and like a day's worth of of shooting like with like nowhere like you know that we've got hundreds and hundreds of gigs of you know of footage so and that so just like you want to get a hard drive and you want to get you know have everything on one hard drive and then you need a whole mirror of that just another that's just a total backup of everything so that if god forbid you drop that hard drive you don't lose everything. <laughs> and there was a moment when you were out there where uh, it almost you happened. Thought yeah. It was all gone for a second. Yeah. And it wasn't just a second. It was like, well, yeah, almost a whole day um, where we had shot a whole bunch of stuff um, the night before stuff that like there was no, just based on the timing, there was no chance we could shoot it again. Yeah. Um, because of the actor, we had Nate for like, only a couple specific days and we were renting this location there's no going back you know so we had shot all this great stuff with nate and then the next morning um our cinematographer jenny levitt went to dump the footage and she put the card in and she plugged it in and it said like card empty or no files found something like that and that is uh, the most horrifying thing you could possibly see when you're trying to work your way through this, like a project like that. Um, what had happened was the card was taken out of the camera while the camera was on. So there was like, you know, it got confused, basically. There was a corrupt, some sort of, there are corrupted files on it. So we had to buy like a $90 program to basically like a data recovery program that would that just basically scrubbed through the entire card to pull any data that it could out of it because it was because the confusing thing was like it was still reading that like you know it still said that like oh there's only like a certain amount of space left on this card it was so it seemed like there was a stuff on it but like it was just not showing up when you tried to like look at what was on the card so luckily we were able to using that program we were able to pull um ever like most everything off of it we still lost some some takes though oh really yeah we still i think there are there are like five so like either like five or six maybe seven clips that were uh that were lost but this is out of like you know yeah like a hundred or something 
I'm glad we're talking about like nowhere now because you know we've been we're sort of wrapping up 2013 and uh, as far as like the 2013 year in film that's for you that's got to be the biggest thing really you directed a fucking film yeah I mean like <laughs> that yeah that is true um yeah that that, that was uh the biggest project that I undertook this year for sure um it was nice to be back, you know, directing something mm. like that. In our early episodes, we were sort of like chronicling it because yeah, it was like yeah. going on when we started yeah. and uh, we really haven't mentioned it at all lately. What, where is it right now as far as um, getting its way into uh, a theater near you? Um, it's close. Um, actually, because of the holidays, um, Chris, who's, who's the co-director, we directed it together. Um, he came up for for christmas um with steve who was working on a lot of the visual effect shots mm-hmm. um so we were able to sit down because he's been living down in the city right um so we haven't actually been able to sit down and actually like watch the movie together like in the same room and like talk about things you know so we were able to finally do that um and the movie is really really close the visual effects are pretty much all done um all we basically have left to do is like some is uh color correction on the whole thing and uh sound and music and sound and music is a, is that's going to be a pretty huge process yeah and it, it's some of it's been going on already but like the attention has been on the uh on the visual effects first because we we're trying to like get the picture lock is close to done so that because we have a friend in minnesota who's going to do all the color correction and uh some video filters and stuff um that's not something you can just do in a program well it is but like you know we're trying to like delegate you know tasks to different people to kind of like speed it along because otherwise it would just basically be like you know like chris doing all of that yeah um when he could be working on other things and also like the, our friend who's, who we're sending it to, like he actually does this like as his job. Do you know him from full sale? Yeah. He was a full sale friend, uh, Cody. Um, so, I mean, it's right up his alley. Like he, you know, he's a, uh, it's always nice to like get someone who's doing a job that that's what they are focusing on doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, this was one of the first projects outside of um, the Full Sail films that Chris and I directed where we had a cinematographer that wasn't one of us. Mm. Because with a lot of the stuff that we've made, like the music videos and like other random projects, like we've directed and done the cinematography ourselves. Now, Hanging from Infinity and, you know... Yeah, the... Um, like Edith Pop and all that stuff, and we've done and we've done cinematography for some of John's music videos. But you know, I don't really consider myself like a cinematographer so much. Like photography isn't like my my focus. You know what I mean? I'm I I'm more toward lean more towards the the more storytelling aspects, you know, the writing and the, and the directing and working on that kind of side of things. So, I mean, 
I am I'm capable, you know, and Chris is more than capable of like, you know, lighting and shooting something. But when you're directing, like, it's nice to have somebody else who's like doing all of that and who's really good at it, you know. So, yeah. so we had Jenny on this, and it's like, oh man, like we could not have gone through, gotten, we would not have made it through the week because we only we've shot it, you know, all in one week. We would not have made it through the week if uh, if we were trying to do all the cinematography ourselves because she just knows like she because this is what that's what she wants to do that's that's what her job is you know that's her profession is is cinematography so like she knows how to like get certain effects out of the lights that she has whereas like you know for me and chris it's more of like a guessing game where we're like what if we do this or what if we do that and we can like spend a long time just trying to get the lighting right and then you know if our attention is split between like making sure that the framing is all right and like making sure that the you know the camera is is doing what it's supposed to do then you're not you're only giving half of your attention to the actors you know and you're only giving half the attention to like overseeing making sure that this is all feeling the way that it should feel and like doing what it needs to do to like make a good movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's nice to have someone who's like, you know, good at like doing color correction, like take a, take a swing at it. And like, so I'm excited to see more of what I've seen some stuff that he sent back and, uh, you know, we've had, we've, have some some notes and pointers on it but uh you know i'm 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 excited because uh he's gonna do a good job can you imagine what would have happened if uh originally the goal was you shot it the week of like i'm not sure what the exact date i know that october 12th was in there somewhere and then it was like th- it was gonna premiere on, on halloween, halloween yeah like two weeks later like <laughs> you know, and there was like a cut of the movie that was done, yeah, like for Halloween, but it wouldn't have had music, it wouldn't yeah. have had any of the visual effects, it wouldn't have had sound effects done, like there just wouldn't have been any sound effects, except you know, not counting what we were actually recorded, right? Um, and the cut, the actual cut of the movie, the edit would have is like, <laughs> would have been way worse than how it is now. Um, and we all, we ultimately, when we talked about it and we were like, you know, we could like show this, you know, but that would kind of, it would just kind of kill our momentum a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, cause people are still interested in seeing it, you know? And if they saw this early version of it and we had a big premiere and everything, it just would have been like, oh, you know, it wouldn't have been good for when the movie's actually done. And we're like, oh, the movie's done now. Like you want to do another real premiere, you know? We don't want to watch that thing again. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, well, I I think we you know we made the right choice in not just pushing it out too mm-hmm. fast. Um, but yeah, I mean, because we took that step, then it was like, well, maybe we can get it done for you know the Thanksgiving break, and then that didn't really happen, and then um, we're like maybe sometime in December, and then that didn't happen. So, I mean. It's it's soon. It's it's definitely like, if not in January, then I would 
definitely expect February. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 really close. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely as soon as there is uh, news about when when that's going to happen, like it, we'll we'll let everyone know. All right, we're back. We just took another break, um, another bathroom break. It's cold here, so we pee. <laughs> and we've been talking for a long time. We're almost two hours in, and we haven't even talked about um, the movie that the movie of the week, our last uh, Jalo film, uh, Murder Rock, or Dancing Death, or Slash Dance. Which either of those make way more sense as titles than Murder Rock. Not much rock in this movie. No. A lot of dancing, though. Yep. Um, but it is directed by Lucio Fulci, and you've seen several other Fulci films. I, I've seen Zombie 2 um, and Zombie 3. <laughs> Which um, is in somewhat of a Fulci film, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you've definitely seen The New York Ripper. And The New York Ripper, yep. Which was just a... Uh, a year. Last week I made the mistake of saying Murder Rock was 1984. Some sources do list that, but on the DVD and IMDb... It says 83, so I'll go with 83, which would make New York Ripper the year before because it was 82. Um, and they both take place in New York City. Mm-hmm. And they both feature um, as sort of like the detectives of the film because uh, we are talking about Jalo again, um, which we do from time to time this month. <laughs> uh, you know, there's always like the detective characters, and they're often either working with or against the police. And uh, here we have. Um, a duo. We have Lieutenant Borgia, and uh, or Borgias, I guess they say. Um, and a uh, a Professor Davis. And in the New York Ripper, we had a Professor Davis who worked with a cop. A different that was a different cop. And I mean, it's a different actor playing Davis, but I like to think that it's the same, it's character. The same character. Yeah, that's cool. That'd be interesting if there was like a series of like slasher films that the only thing that connected them was like this sort of the secondary detective guy or like the person who's like assisting different detectives. Yeah. And there's a, I mean, usually like they tend to like, oh, here's a series where Jason's killing a bunch of people in each movie or Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger. But like every so often you'll have like a character who's in like a few of them like Tommy Jarvis or, mm-hmm. or Nancy in the nightmare movies but um I think that that would be really interesting to have like yeah and then you know there are like you know detective series that follow like the detective on different cases and stuff like, yeah, like that like all the Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes films yeah and... but yeah I don't know no, there's not there's no like slasher series that deals with like different killers each time mm-hmm. different scenarios that follow you know even even a detective like that i'm, sh- the, I'm sure there must be somewhere i just don't know of it and this is uh, last week when we were doing black christmas we talked a little bit about the slasher film and um you know kind of like the dead it owes to uh, jolly um and this is the first film we're doing that is really like in the in the middle of the slasher era yeah and it's very tame in its violence and its gore. The killer is even nice enough to chloroform the victims before stabbing them. Yeah, so they're not, like, screaming or trying to run away yeah. or do any of that kind of stuff. And then when the stabbing actually does happen, it's this very slow, particular, just, <laughs> I'm going to poke you with a needle. 
in your gorgeous breasts. Yes. Um, yeah, that is interesting. It kind of does the opposite of what, you know, what Jason or Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger would do. Maybe because those are, uh, you know, big burly men in, in this film. Spoiler alert. The killer is a woman. Surprise, and again, surprise. spoiler alert. In all the other Jolly we've talked about this month. They've all been women. Yeah. Yeah. Although in, you know, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, you had like the male helper. Right. If you will. Who did do some of the yeah. killings, but. Um, and I swear there are Jolly out there where there are male killers. It's just, <laughs> it just happens to be that like we're, we chose these ones. Even, in, I mean, yeah, even I'm, I'm thinking about other ones that I've seen, like other Argento movies and stuff. They all seem to have female killers. I almost, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm getting to the point where uh, I'm tired of like warning people about spoilers, but still, you know, just out of politeness, you know, I'm I'm not gonna tell you all the ones I can think of right now with their arm males. Right, because then it's it like, is a little bit part of the fun. Yeah. Um, but the killer in this one happens to be played by Olga uh, Carlatos, whose uh, other claim to fame uh, in Fulci films, and actually, I mean, what most people know her for. Is like if you were to pick out of all the um, all the scenes and all of Lucio Fulci's films, one iconic moment, it would be in Zombie Two when the splinter goes into Olga Carlatos's eye, mm-hmm. and um, and here she is, you know, like penetrating with, others with a splinter of her own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was actually kind of waiting to see if there was going to be another instance of. Uh, the ocular violence, as you put it last week. Yeah. <laughs> For a Fulci film, I mean, that's pretty... It's usually a given that, like, oh, I'm watching a Lucio Fulci film. Something's going to happen to somebody's eye. Hmm. But no, not here. Yeah, there's not There's yeah. not any of it. Um, yeah, the violence is very, very tame. But what you do have um, that's in, you know, many Fulci films is just like this horribly cynical view of the world. I mean, all the characters, or at least all the suspects and red herrings and whatnot are just like horrible people who are caught up in this competitive world, um, which, you know, like as in the New York Ripper, um, the killer in that film, I'll somewhat spoil it. Uh, the killer in that film is, um, you know, he feels that, like, they're in the most competitive city in the most competitive country in the world. And if you're not number one, then you're just a loser. And his daughter has a terminal illness and he, like, views her as a loser. And he goes out and kills um, all these women who, um, you know, have reached, like, sexual maturity, unlike his daughter ever will. And... Uh, it's it's a it's a twisted movie. It's New York Ripper is a very upsetting movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's, the motivation is kind of similar in this as well. Yeah, it, it's um, like, well, they're all in competition for like very few. Sp- it, it takes place, you know, like in it's kind of like it's very inspired by the films Fame and Flashdance, where like you know big musical films from like the early eighties. Um, there weren't a lot of musical films in the early eighties, but like. 
those are, I think they've both been well, Fame's been remade. I don't think Flashdance has been remade yet. But um and just the, these bickering dancers at uh the Arts for Living Center, I think is the name of the school, which sounds like, you know, an Italian screenwriter trying to translate it into <laughs> English maybe. Yeah, right. Um you know, they all like they're all friends and hang out somewhat. But you know, like, but they are all in doors, competition with all, each other, and yeah. And like, as soon as like, there's all the little dramas. And as soon as like one person is a suspect, everybody else chimes in, like, oh, of course they did it because of this and this, yeah. and they're just opening the closet, revealing all their secrets and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Olga Carlados, who is the killer, uh, she's you know like their instructor, and uh, she was in a an accident years earlier and um because of that she'll never be like a great dancer and have any of the opportunities that her students have Mm -hmm. so she picks them off one by one i wonder what it was that did did they explain like what it was that set her off like like now because i'm presuming that she's been an instructor for a while at least like what is it all of a sudden she's just like killing them I'm not sure. It's. I mean, she does see that bill. Like after there's already been at least one killing, she does see that billboard, um, with the the actor on it. Who you know, it turns out was the person driving the motorcycle that ran over her, and that right. was her accident. Um, and he's like killing her in her nightmares. Um, and I'm wondering if that might have set it off. Like she had seen a billboard before, or like mm-hmm. noticed him in an ad somewhere, and then it like brought it all back. Yeah, that's that is that's probably what it was. And like he, you know, is a prime suspect in it because I mean, he is killing her in her nightmares. First of all, and like yes, mm-hmm. it's not real life, but like as somebody watching the film, you know, that could just kind of like leave an impression on you. And then. um we also find out he's got some uh, questionable things in his past. Yeah. There's a young girl that ended up dead, which is information given to us by Ucho Fulci himself. Um, he's the guy on the phone with her. Oh. Okay. With, like, the, like, scantily clad woman in the background. And he's like, I'll be with you in a minute, baby. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he tends to have good little, cam- I wouldn't say, like, Hitchcockian cameos, because he usually has dialogue. Hmm. But um, they're usually pretty playful, though. I don't know. I think he was the chief of police in the New York Ripper. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I like how the movie kind of... Um, it goes through a lot of suspects. There are, there are a lot of different people to kind of try to keep track of. Um, if you're trying to figure out who the, who the killer is, as I was... Um, <clears throat> and the way that they like set a lot of things up, like uh, there's Willie, who you know was in the apartment just mm. moments before the the killing of uh, Jan- was it Janice, um, the second girl who gets killed. Yeah, we'll call her Janice. Um, like moments before she is killed, and then he like kind of doesn't even mention that the fact that he was there, like yeah. to anybody. Um, so, you know, I mean, like there's, there's him and then there's like, 
There's just there's a lot of characters. You know, there's the older guy, the older dance instructor guy who may or may not have been having relationships with or the, the head of the, yeah, the head of the institute, not an instructor. He's their boss. I guess, oh right, with yeah, the classes, yeah, not instructor. Yeah, who he, it's rumored that he's having affairs with like several of the students, but really there's just one. Yeah. Um, and then of course you think like, well, is it one of the other students? Um, and then there's the guy who the brother of one of the girls who seems to work as like a DJ yeah, the right. and like he, he's some, he, they call him a gimp at one point, but he has that limp. So it's yeah. like, Oh, maybe it's him because he's jealous that he can never be a dancer. Right. Cause he like limps off. So there, there are certainly a lot of red herrings. Um, so I just, after seeing clue last night, I just keep thinking of the great line that they keep repeating. Communism was just a red herring. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> this movie has nothing to do with communism. <laughs> or does it? Let's not talk about it, though. No. That's, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed uh, trying to figure out who the, uh, like, uh, this was a good, like, mystery, I think. Um, mm. More so than maybe some of the other um, Jalo that we watched this month. Um, this one is probably the closest to, like, a detective story in which there, you know, there are like these clues that you can try to like really piece together. I mean, maybe like bird with a crystal plumage probably comes like as close to that, but yeah. Um, actually, now that I've brought up communism, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about communism, but it's, you know, other isms, um, fascism. There are very fascist aspects to this. Um, and not just because all the dancers look like Aryan nation Nazis with their like blonde hair and everything. <laughs> um, but just like the style of dancing that they're working on, um, it, it's very like robotic mm-hmm. almost. They're all, you know, they're all like, mar- it's like marching on, but they're like doing like uniform aerobics. Right. In a way. Um, and like there's the whole like competition thing and the whole like, you know, there can be no weak links. Mm hmm. Um, and and, just, and then even like um the the instructor Candice hmm. um has that mono that great monologue after Willie like refuses to dance and he's like it's all wrong well, how can you all just go on dancing after one of our own has been killed yeah. and she's like you know you must remove like there is no humanity like you know remove all that the human feeling and you must. ascend or become like you know better and separate yourself from it and like you just keep going and go on because that's that's all that life is is just keeping that going Hmm. um just striving to be the best at something i love how just the lieutenant is just he doesn't even hide his disgust for the whole thing He's just like, like he, you know, he has to solve the case. He has to find out who the murderer is, but it's almost like he really doesn't even feel like being bothered with it. He's just like, you know, all of you assholes deserve to die if this is what (laughs) you're devoting your life to. Like, and not knocking, you know, professional dancers or anything like that, but it's just like, you know, as a metaphor for any sort of like competitive thing like that. The rat race. And like, just, I just a week ago, uh, rewatched the bad news bears, which I watched a ton of times growing up. Um, but I hadn't seen in maybe 20 years. I don't know. And like, 
I didn't I remembered it as being a comedy, but it's not very funny. It's all about like showing like how ugly competition can make you. And you can really only save yourself by stopping to like ceasing to care. Hmm. But <laughs> and like the lieutenant in this film certainly does not care about it. Like I love that when he slaps that one character, he doesn't yeah. even bother to get up out of his chair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he he just has that that just like lazy expression the whole time. He's like constantly eating those like pumpkin seeds or whatever the fuck he's chewing on. Yeah, I wasn't sure what those were. Um Yeah, he he's he's a real funny character. So they'll like give him like evidence or whatever he's like, "Huh? Oh, yeah. All right." I guess that's I guess that's evidence. Yeah. <laughs> like when they first said his name, um even watching it again tonight and I've seen it several times before, I always think like the guy's saying like Oh hey, Lieutenant Gorgeous. Like <laughs> but it's gorgeous. But, oh uh, hey there, Lieutenant Gorgeous. <laughs> but I like um Professor Davis, uh you know, at the end he has this line, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it, it's sort of like at the end of Psycho, when the psychiatrist comes in and like explains Norman Bates, and they kind of play off that in Argento's uh, Bird with a Crystal Plumage, where they have like that talk show, where there's a psychiatrist saying like, well, she suffered from... Whatever. Right, yeah. And there's like a line like that in here, and like, <laughs> the lieutenant just like turns to him and says like, yeah, cool it, will you, doc? And then goes on talking. <laughs> Like he's just like I. No one cares. Like she was the killer. The killer's dead. We're done. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he's uh, he comes in on the, on the dead body. Everyone's like, well, I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> all right, let's wrap it up. Let's go home. Yeah, he just does not give a shit about it at all. And I keep relating it to um the New York Ripper. Um, but it's, uh, contrasting is the visual style. Um, New, uh, the New York Ripper is so gritty and grimy and murder rock has like this slick, like, yeah. uh, it's well, 1983, you know, like MTV had already started and there, there were starting to be these films that kind of showed this like new v- music video aesthetic, um, which all, but also like, um, had like the Madison Avenue thing, like it was being used in advertising a lot and it was starting to like get into feature films where like that, that slickness, Mm -hmm. like it's hard to describe it. You know it when you see it. Um, yeah, I mean, and just like the, the, those sort of practical lights, almost like the crystal white lights that are used in like, not just like the dance studio where you would expect to see them, but like on every crime scene when they're taking photos of like the dead bodies and stuff but like whenever the 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 detective is like standing looking over the body there's always like one of those like lights behind him like and that's what they're using to like flash the photography like these dance lights um and the flashes are always weird because they like are it's a really slow flash where it like it comes on and then it fades off instead of just like a pop like a flash pop you know like they are using dance lights for some reason to like photograph the dead um but I love those the the transitions between like a murder sequence followed by like the cops showing up and like it go because like the getting back to the fascist thing, the school is like 
it like shuts down for the night. You yeah, just hear this right? automated voice <laughs> saying like, "You'd better get out because we're shutting down." Like the, the automatic start security off. system will now engage in fifteen <laughs> minutes, and the lights just shut off. Yeah, it's it is very like yeah, and like uh, twice that's when they're killed. <laughs> it's yeah, just like everybody's like, "Oh, we better get out," and like they're gonna be locked in there or something. And then um, you know the lights will like go out for a second, then come back on for a second, go out for a second, and then like somebody's killed and then it's like in that darkness when the transition between the scenes comes back and then it gets extremely bright and mm-hmm. that's the and that's flash the, the bulb flash of the, the, yeah, the yeah. photographer uh, those were great yeah definitely um when you talk about the whole music video aesthetic and <laughs> i mean you can't talk about this movie without <laughs> talking about how like it, it does pause at least like three or four times to basically have a music video yeah um <laughs> uh and the music was done by Keith Emerson who did a great job with Argento's Inferno. Mm-hmm, yeah. Here he does an interesting job. Yeah, I mean like a lot of like just pop kind of songs. Yeah. And like the score, I'm not going to knock the score. Right. But the actual songs they it's it's odd. They they work for what they are. Yeah. It's not anything but I'd they're like not, to listen to. But. Yeah. <laughs> they're not like radio worthy or anything like that they're not like well, 30 years ago i wouldn't be surprised to hear them on the yeah radio. but they're not like um i don't know they're not like hits that would like if they had been released like on the radio they're not like something i don't think they're good enough to be yeah, like considered what, what, sort of classics now the at film all. is clearly inspired by adrian Lyons' flash dance um it's, it even has a scene like the famous scene in flash dance with jennifer beals um doing her whole like dance and then pulling on the thing and the, the water splashes right. down on her there's a scene where one of the dancers after she's done at school she goes and she's dancing in a nightclub or something which is creepy because yeah, it's, it's very strange it's just like here's me and my leotard sweating and writhing around for you and like showing you my crotch spreading my legs open as far <laughs> as i can and thrusting my pelvis in your face uh, max is acting this out by the way you all can't see this um, um and, and it's creepy because like you can't you don't see much of the location at all. It's very much, we're very close on her the whole time. We get hints of like some tables. Not even sure if you see anybody's faces. No, I don't think you see anybody. Yeah. And that's like, you hear a lot of clapping when she's finished, which gives the sense that like, you know, she's in the middle of this big room, but like, we don't know where, like what location this is. If it's like a nightclub or like a, she's not dressed like, you know, something that you'd expect to see in a place like that or I don't know it's it's very very or like, like a lounge club almost mm-hmm. um, with like the kind of the style of tables and like the little lights that are on them or something that you'd expect to see with like you know like the lounge singer like the lounge lizard kind of thing but she's like doing this crazy aerobic workout kind of dancing and then the water is inexplicably falling from somewhere <laughs> up above like the the music in this film is clearly um inspired by the music that Giorgio Moroder wrote for Flashdance. Uh, like, um, uh, there were at least two hits from that movie. One was definitely Maniac, which was actually, the original lyrics of it were blatantly based on the William Lustig slasher film starring Joe Spinell, Maniac, um, which definitely had influence on the New York Gripper. Uh, what, was the, what was the other big song from Flashdance? It's like escaping my mind right now. I, I, I only really know Maniac. It's like she's a Steel Town girl. That's not Maniac, right? The, she says, ah. I don't it's know. It's like not even in my head. But that's clearly what they're going for 
with the songs in Murder Rock. They like they need they like um like oh let's have some pop songs in there yeah. to mix in. Like, Cuz they could have really I mean like for a dance studio like dance classes they could have really just had like a techno beat. They don't need these big elaborate songs but there were at least like four or five written for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> And I like how all the all the titles of the songs are like kind of little plays on the on the stalker slasher kind of thing. Like one's about like paranoia, and another one's like you know paranoia's coming your way. <laughs> yeah, and then another that's, one I think is that's like, called "Are the Streets to Blame?" Yeah, another one is like um, "It's Just You and Me Tonight" or something like that. Um, which you can kind of imagine being like you know it's just. The victim and the killer tonight. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too far into that, but well, what, speaking of reading it, what's the uh, what's the song playing in that nightmare sequence when we're first introduced to uh, Ray Lovelock's character? Where I, he's yeah, chasing, I can't remember because it sang something about. I don't remember what it said, but it's something to the effect of like, if you just listen to that, you'll know she's the killer. I don't remember what it was though. I never noticed it until tonight somehow, and I've seen I've written about this for school, like and but um I don't know. You always pick up something every time you rewatch a movie though. So. Yeah. Um That's what's nice about rewatching them. Yeah. You get a slight you get a different perspective on it. Um but the actor uh Cosimo Cinieri, who played Lieutenant Borges was also in the New York Ripper playing a different character. Um, he was the, the wealthy fellow whose wife um, would go out and record herself having sex with people for him. And then she ends up dead and he's a suspect, briefly. Mm. Um, and he was also in another Fulci New York movie, uh, Manhattan Baby, which um, I can't easily recommend to you. <laughs> it's it's interesting. Yeah. But um yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um speaking of, of New York Ripper again, I just wanted to bring up this uh this Disney connection. Oh uh, yeah, Fulci stuff. Um if you if you're listening to this and you actually did watch Murder Rock, um I'd be surprised if you did. Um there's a they sh- wh- why not? <laughs> it's a good movie. Go watch Murder Rock then. Like it's out there. It's it's on DV. It's on the Treak Show. Put it out. Put out a great two disc edition of it. I'm sure it's on Netflix. Maybe not streaming. I, I don't think it is on Netflix. But oh yeah, maybe you can probably get it through the yeah. disc service. But um, there's a sh- there's just one shot before the first girl is killed where she pulls out this little stuffed Mickey Mouse doll out of her locker. Um, and part of the whole thing in in uh, the New York Ripper is the killer is making phone calls to uh, the victims and the police department and all this stuff um, in the voice of Donald Duck. And the killer has an accomplice whose name is Mickey. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, It's very creepy and very weird. Um, And you had mentioned this Disney thing before. I don't think we did it on mic, but uh, this was a few weeks ago. Because also... um, Lucio Fulci's masterpiece, um, one of my favorite films of all time, Don't Torture a Duckling. Uh, the original title 
if translated fr straight from Italian to English, is don't torture Donald Duck. But for copyright purposes, they couldn't call it that in like, uh, like England and America and stuff. So it's don't torture a duckling. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Fulci hated Disney. Uh, I met his daughter, one of, one of his two daughters. Uh, there's Camilla and Antonella. I met Antonella Fulci at CultCon 2000 in Terrytown, which I spoke of briefly in another episode. Um, and she uh, was introducing... Uh, they showed a couple of his movies there. I think the one she said this for was uh, Contraband, which is um, a mafia film that he did in 1980, right between Zombie 2 and Gates of Hell. Or now it's called City of the Living Dead, but back then we called it Gates of Hell. Um, and she was saying how uh, the reason he would always put these little Disney things in there is because he felt that Mickey Mouse was a fascist. And um, <laughs> I'm assuming by Mickey Mouse, he meant like the whole like the Disney, Disney Corporation yeah, yeah. and not just like the character Mickey Mouse. But I don't know. He was a weird guy. Um, and that, uh, he was a collaborator. He collaborated with the police and he, it, that, uh, Disney was just like an ultra conservative, like horrible fascist thing. And so he just put like little digs in. Hmm. And I mean, like, I don't, you could see him as little digs. Um, I mean, definitely in the New York Ripper. <laughs> I mean, Donald Duck, well, the person like representing Donald Duck in a way is like, doing horrible things donald duck is the killer basically yeah um and in murder rock uh it's the first the very first victim you know kisses her mickey mouse toy right before being killed mm -hmm. so maybe, maybe if she hadn't had that doll then maybe she'd be alive today i don't know um but it, it is odd that he would just like choose that battle to fight sort of like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> on the plains of the, of the jollo slashers <laughs> chose to Fight a one man, <laughs> one man war against the Disney Corporation. And there, I can't think of any at the moment, but there are at least two other instances where, like, if you look for them, there's like little Disney things in there. Okay, so we're back again. <laughs> we did another pause. Um, we're gonna wrap up our talk about uh, Murder Rock. We probably could have talked for. Who knows how much longer this this night has been going on way too long. We're already two hours, two and a half hours into this, Tim. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted, too. Um, so that wraps up Holly Jolly Christmas. Um, I enjoyed it. How do you enjoy it? I liked it. I'm, I'm glad this happened. Yes. <laughs> so now that leaves the question of what are we watching this month? Well, according to the plan that we totally had yeah. <laughs> for the last uh, couple of weeks, um, January is going to be uh, the month of the box office bombs, the flops. Yeah. Those movies that, you know, were supposedly too big to fail, the unsinkable, you know, these, these films that... Maybe I don't. We haven't really decided exactly yeah. which which flops. You know, maybe we'll go with some smaller ones that you know just flopped hard. Um, maybe big bloated things like like Paint Your Wagon or Waterworld or Bonfire of the Vanities or Hudson mm -hmm. Hawk or something like that or Heaven's Gate or Heaven's Gate. Do some more Chimino. Um, 
or maybe some modern stuff like Lone Ranger and John Carter. Yeah. Or um, uh, or Jonah Hex. <laughs> I've seen Jonah Hex. <laughs> Why you bring Jonah Hex up? That's kind of random. I because I remember I actually read an article somewhere online about um, how like so many recent uh, big budget westerns have been flopping. It was in relation to the Lone Ranger, and they brought up Jonah Hex mm. along with some others. And, yeah, well, see the thing with Jonah Hex is that it's really really bad. It's a terrible movie. That'll, that'll do it. I mean, being bad doesn't always guarantee that you're gonna be a flop. No, but it's that's certainly... why Michael Bay is rolling in money right now. <laughs> But this isn't even, like, Michael Bay... Like, I mean, you can say, like, okay, Michael Bay's movies are bad, but, like, those are, like, watchable. Jonah Hex is, like, pretty damn near, like, unbearable. Hmm. Um, And, you know, it certainly doesn't help when you're trying to, like, build, like, hype for something. Especially for, like, it's based on a comic book character that, you know, a lot of people don't know. Yeah, I, I, why are we talking about Jonah Hex? <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, we're gonna talk about uh, box office bombs. We're gonna watch some, <clears throat> watch some flops, flopping all over January. We'll we'll get back to you as far as like exactly which ones we'll be watching, when. But um, <laughs> for our first one, um, Tim had a, a pretty good idea, which is. The, the one I was... Yeah, the one you were... Oh, okay. Um, the, the Bluebird. The Bluebird. From 1940, starring uh, Shirley Temple, America's Sweetheart. And this was kind of a uh, quick sort of cash-in off the coattails of Wizard of Oz? Yep. And it's not that great. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people don't like it, including me. Let's all let's let's all get together and dislike it together this month. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good so we we'll we'll do it in chronological order this you know so we'll start with this earlier flop and then All we'll right. kind of pick one in the middle and then um well two in the middle and then maybe we'll finish with with a more modern one yeah. and we're, we're, we'll try our darndest to stay away from the 60s and 70s this time yeah because that's one thing that we, we've been talking about is so far on talking movies we've watched a lot from the 60s and 70s so uh pretty much everything except for the Blair Witch Project and Murder Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So yeah, actually let's let's just say right now, let's not watch any from the sixties or seventies. We'll right, do no paint your wagon. No paint and no Heaven's Gate. So Well that was eighties. Was that was nineteen eighty or eighty one? But still if we if we do it, we're gonna end up talking about the sixties and seventies a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's just steer totally clear of those twenty years. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, uh, we gotta wrap this motherfucker up. So, uh, what, what do I need to say? <laughs> uh, Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking <laughs> Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim, and we'll see you next time. Oh,